Welcome to Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. My name is Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be guiding you through research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. This is the second of a three-part episode where I speak to Dr. Kaya Frank, whose PhD looked at literary werewolves as eco-gothic monsters. Throughout these three episodes, we will cover a range of topics, particularly around what it's like to do a PhD. The second episode in this series covers genre and literature, the supervisory relationship, and how to develop a research methodology from scratch using the intersectionality of research areas. I hope you enjoyed this wide-ranging conversation on all aspects of the research process, doing a PhD, and being a researcher. We were walking around Waterstones the other day, and... um, H.P. Lovecraft is no longer in the horror section. He's in the sci-fi fantasy section. He's no longer horror. I find this so interesting because, like, genre matters so much. It Mm. matters nowadays in terms of how your book sells. It matters who's going to study it. Mm -hmm. It matters who's going to write blurbs for it. But I find it really weird because, to me, Lovecraft is... Well, he's weird fiction, but he's really, it's scary stuff, which means that it kind of is horror, but I guess I can see that it's kind of terror as well, because the stuff he writes is, broadly speaking, relatively bloodless. Mm. Like, gross things happen, but it's it's bloodless. And so I guess that's more terror than horror if we're using some of the more traditional, like, ways of bifurcating those two terms, but... Yeah, you can't make those divides. Things bleed into each other. That's just, I think that's just one of the things with literature in general, isn't it? Like the uh, the kind of the, so there's some some books and and some things that really kind of clearly fit into their nice little box, but most don't, most kind of cross a number of genres. So it becomes quite difficult and to kind of categorise them. But the categories are really important, as you said, in terms of how a book sells and what the audience, uh, who the audience is and, and who picks it up and who doesn't and that kind of thing. So it can have a really huge impact on the impact the book has. And when I've been... So I, I was teaching genre fiction um, and we talked... One of the exercises I did for my student is we, in the final session, we were talking about how if you allow genres to hybridise... Um, And if you want to sort of um, refresh a genre, it's quite useful to bring other elements of genre. And arguably you can never, you know, as we're saying, you can never completely say this is purely this or this is purely that. And I asked my students as a thought experiment, I said, I just want you to draw a diagram of how the genres work. I want you to draw a diagram of where you think they are in, you know, in line with each other, you can use arrows, you can use lists, you can use circles, you can use colours, you can use whatever you want. I know this sounds really weird, but I'm going to give you like five minutes, just sit down and try and visualise how genres work to you. And it was very interesting about when I asked them to do that, they suddenly were like, no, that's actually a really weird, no, you can't really do that. It's not a spectrum necessarily. So I can't go horror bleeds into this, which bleeds into that. It's because one of them can go into this one. And I even said, well, let's look up online what other people have done. And they were like, yeah, I agree with that. And that, yeah, that creates that. And that creates that. And, and, and I guess, yeah, urban fantasy crosses with that. And that's high fantasy. 
And I like, it doesn't really matter. There's no right or wrong answer, but it could be useful for you in your writing process to understand how you think genre works because you may have put two things as opposing poles. And if you try to bring them together, it creates something interesting. Um, and indeed, I made, them, I made them basically do a lucky dip with genre and they just had to pick out the genres I've been looking at. And then I'm like, do you think that would work? And some of them were like, this is too easy. Can I add a third? And I was like, yeah, add another genre. Let's really go crazy. What are you guys going to make? Hybridize everything, um, which was essentially the conclusion of my thesis. Just hybridize it. <laughs> which brings us quite nicely back to your thesis, actually, because the, the conversation we were going to have today that is already kind of spanned in sort of half an hour of talking about lots of other things was the idea that you, you had to develop your own framework and coming back to sort of segues back into that idea of fear and you looked at it and you had to sort of come up with your own framework so how how did you figure out that you needed a, to invent your own framework for analysis and then how did you go about doing it so I think the reason why I figured out is essentially research going and I mean, I am very mundane in my process. I go to the British Library collections and I go to the main thing and I just put werewolf. And then I, went, <laughs> I want books, I want academic articles and I want that. And like, yeah, okay, that's what I want. And then I looked through that and I was like, that's not much, is it? <laughs> and if the British Library says there's not much, then I guess there's not much. And then I started, um, and I'm, I try and teach my students this. I then look at abstracts and I look at like, always read the introduction, mm-hmm. always read an abstract, then tell yourself whether it's worth you reading it or to what level you're reading this. Um, and that's a skill that you get as you become a more advanced researcher. You start getting a sense of what's where the information is going to lie. So then I'm really systematic and had my spreadsheet and I wrote everything down and I um, had notebooks and then I also typed up my notes and yeah, I was really organized and systematic. I am very organized in how I approach research when I, when I've got a lot that I need to do and I had the time to be organized as well. And as I was reading through, I was reading some really interesting stuff about werewolves, particularly werewolves on screen. They seem to be sort of filmic monsters. There was quite a lot of interesting stuff about historical werewolves in terms of things like the werewolf trials in the 1500s and 1600s. There was interesting stuff about medieval texts about werewolves. Um, there was a lot about the myth of Lycaon. And there was every now and then people would mention um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, where some, like a shepherd is turned into a wolf. Um, they would mention certain stories from Roman and Greek texts. But a lot of it seemed to be about very early texts. And I'm significantly more recent than that. And I really like to worry pop culture, 20th, 21st century, YA, gothics, another thing that I look at. So I started to get kind of a bit frustrated because I really felt that some cases it was, you know, a medievalist sort of having a, an offshoot, like, oh, let's, oh, werewolves, interesting, I'll write about that. You've got a few scientific papers with people saying, oh, well, perhaps the belief in lycanthropy is caused by porphyria, um, which the answer is no. Um, that and the Salem witch trials weren't ergot poisoning. So that's cool. We can just put that to bed now. And so 
the more I read, the more I realised that there was some there were some good texts out there on werewolves, but very few. And more importantly, all of them had a very similar anthropocentric, human-centred point of view. Why do we as humans believe in these creatures or have believed in these creatures or tell stories about these creatures? And what does it tell us about the human? As an undergraduate, um, there was one of my professors who just, he'd call himself Bob Mackay. Um, it's, obviously, he's got a proper full title and everything, but we just called him Bob. And he was based at the University of Sheffield and he was into eco-criticism and animal studies. And I did a couple of modules with him. Um, and those modules changed a lot for me. They impacted how I think about my relationship with the natural world and particularly animals and companion animals used on a Haraway's term to a huge degree. They affected like the decisions I make in terms of food consumption, clothing consumption, all sorts of things. In they really fundamentally shifted a lot of the ideas I had about where humans lie in the hierarchy. And because I'd done that, it wasn't really until I sat down and did my thesis that then those thoughts came up again. And I was like, I want to make this an eco-critical point of view. Now, I was lucky in that about the time that I was writing this, um, eco-gothic as a hybrid of eco-criticism and gothic studies, um, and also things like gothic nature, suddenly started coming out. And I realised there is a point of view here. So I kind of been doing that by myself, going, you can put gothic together with animal studies. Why do we make wolves monstrous? And there was some, again, very interesting texts about the monstrosity of wolves. But they were usually naturally natural history texts mm. or anthropological texts or sociological texts. So, like, I'd read, like, documents that the EU had produced about how we look after apex predators, and there'd be stuff in there going, wolves are the ones that are the most difficult, because wolves seem to be the creature that causes the most contention, and, you know, people get really upset about this, and la, 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 and I was like, okay, 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 now lean into that, we can do something with that, right, why, 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 let's look into the history of like humans and wolves interactions, it's Little Red Riding Hood, okay, and then people like, people talk about the big bad wolf, and I was like, okay, okay, but let's get that into werewolves, we need to relate the two together, so I started doing this, and was like, this is genius, or this is madness, I don't know, and I just kept talking to people about wolves, and and then I started reading about eco-gothic and gothic nature, and I was like, okay, Clearly, I'm not alone on this. And when I was looking at that, and it was, again, quite early days, um, Simon Estock was really important in terms of his idea of ecophobia. And I used that about like our fear and our hatred towards the natural world and what it does. It was kind of as all that was amalgamating that I started going, I think this is my methodology. I will say I probably didn't specifically say it was my methodology, until the last six months of my thesis. And that's when my supervisor was like, okay, you need to be explicit in your methodology. You're just assuming people are following your mindset. And when I went back to do my rewrites, I was really far more clear there and sort of like, okay, this is, this is what I do now. This is who I am. <laughs> so the process was very much about, for you, is about sort of pulling together different strands of research like 
areas and kind of thinking how do they connect and allowing yourself to kind of make those connections and build those into your work but did you find that you came up against any barriers I guess to kind of using a brand new system of or brand new approach to your research but does anyone did anyone kind of look at that and go no you can't do that you've got to you've got to stick to the tried and tested no and I don't know whether it's just because I had really, really nice supervisors. And I, I would say, and I, yeah, like I, at my university, they were, I mean, I wanted to cry about the amount of bureaucracy, but looking back, it was probably an incredibly important and useful step for most PhD, you know, PhD students. And the more I meet the PhD students, the more I'm like, you know, sometimes you have to get your muse and tie her to a chair. Like just sometimes you just got to do the graft Um, and I'm a chaotic thinker but a really organized in in my approach to research so I would meet with my supervisor every two weeks and I would send through stuff and we would agree and after every meeting I would send her like an email with like bullet points of everything we'd agreed I'd do by the next in the next two weeks and it was really thorough the last six months of my life I broke down month by month, week by week, day by day, every day off, every buffer times if things went wrong, allowing for my 30th birthday. I was really precise about this. So my university, um, I had had three supervisors, although I I never really met my tertiary supervisor. Both my primary and secondary supervisor, you know, especially my secondary supervisor, who I've heard stories where secondary supervisors basically don't know you exist, um, my secondary supervisor worked really closely alongside me. Um, he is uh, a specialist in American literature. And I wanted to talk about the movement of the hatred of wolves into North America. And I really, I needed his help there. And he was really great um, and really helpful. And when I sent him through like my chapter, he, you know, he was like, this is really good. I'm really, this is really interesting. And I've never thought about something like this. And I'm so impressed with how like you've worked really hard and engaged with what I've said. Um, And then the Gothic crew, I can only, again, broadly speaking, speak for myself. Um, And I, I know that I like people like me, i.e. people with a few piercings and tattoos and funny coloured hair, but otherwise tick the majority boxes. Um, I like from my experience, Gothic studies is a really accepting and engaging place. So the conferences I attended uh, and the people that I met were just really kind and very supportive and helpful and. Yeah, that sounds too sugar-coated and like I should be saying like there was a real... Um, but again, I don't know whether this is my memory. My therapist says I tend to remember things in a positive light, um, <laughs> which I'm not, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, but overall, yeah, overall, I think that I had continuous checks throughout my PhD where I'd have to hand in more paperwork and sign this off. And, had you know, like we had a formal viva for me to go from my MPhil to my PhD. Um, and I helped the process of choosing my external for that. Um, and I think at every single moment, because I had to keep reflecting on the process and what I was doing and then talk with my supervisors and make sure everything was 
was up to scratch. Uh, I felt that generally I just got a reiteration that you are kind of on the on your own track. That's absolutely not to say that my own inner demons didn't judge me. Uh, most of my issues came from myself and my own fear and from the fact that with the best within the world, doing your PhD is an incredibly isolating experience. And because of the fact that I was living in, my university was, I think it took two and a half hours for me to get there for my meetings. I was living in South of London. My university was in Hatfield and I was working at the Globe as well, part-time. Um, and most of the time I'd be in the British Library, not chatting to anyone. Mm. Uh, and most of my friends were, like the ones that I saw the most, weren't academics. So I talked to them about this and they'd be like, why are you talking about what you do during the week? None of us do. <laughs> like, we don't tell you about our accountancy or soliciting or whatever they do. Like, you know, I work in something management or something doodaddy like it's boring don't tell us about what you do and I was like oh because when you go to conferences with academics that's all we want to talk about <laughs> like all we talk about is the thing we do because the thing we do is fundamental to our identity in a way that we can't quite put our finger on yeah. um but yeah I think that was the most difficult thing was definitely me judging myself and feeling and feeling that like I couldn't necessarily explain it to other people who I was spending time with. That is such a common, uh, such a common thing about PhD students, but also kind of early career researchers. I had I have a very similar thing. I'm I'm one of, I'm the only person in my kind of immediate friendship group who's done a PhD in this area, and I've got a few other friends who have done PhDs in other areas, and then and when we all get together it's like the PhD is all that you really used to talk about and then everyone else is like why why you're still talking about it you're still talking about it you need to stop you need to stop um but I really like you said two things that I there that I really want to pull out one is the importance of kind of supportive networks and you you talked about you know the gothic crew being quite a supportive network so you know find if people can find a really good even if it's quite a small network or a particular conference that really works for them, that's really encouraging and can really help you develop your ideas and feel like you're, even with those inner demons, that you're on the right track. Um, and the other thing I think I just want to really pull out there is the importance of um, good, a good supervisory team. Because so often you, you can find the wrong supervisor or the wrong university and you haven't quite found, you know, you've, you've decided you want to do a PhD and you've, just gone to the first place you thought of re rather than really kind of starting to think about the relationship you're going to have with someone for three to seven years, depending on if you're doing it full or part-time or you end up having breaks and stuff. So I think that that's a really important point. And I think I was, again, it was a really, in some ways, quite a lucky accident. What had happened was when I was doing my master's, when I realised there was nothing much about Twilight, I was like, I need to go somewhere where there'll be some research. And someone drew my attention to the fact that there was going to be a conference about vampires at the University of Hertfordshire. And I, you know, I said to, uh, at that point, Angela Wright, who was um, helping me through my master's dissertation, oh, I think I should attend. And she was like, yes, you should attend. And I told my mum, and my mum was like, you should attend. And I was like, oh, but I'm too scared because it will be proper academics and I'm like a child and I'm too scared. And so my mum said, why don't we make it a girl's holiday? Oh. 
And that's how I ended up sat in a room watching zombie porn with my mother. Oh, I mean, that's um, an interesting uh, mother-daughter bonding experience. Yeah, she's very open-minded, luckily. But we, we got... And the other thing is actually during that time, what we'd agreed is we'd sometimes split panels. And she's an intelligent woman and she loves reading. Um, that's where I sort of get my English literature. You know, that's where my love comes from. But um, her degree... Does she have a degree? She's got an MBA. She got kicked out of university, but she was doing biology. So she doesn't know why she was doing biology. She got kicked out because she said it was horrible and everyone kept drinking and having casual sex. And that was not what she was interested in. And the music was terrible. Um, (laughs) She wanted to have cups of tea and listen to music from the 1940s. Um, So she came along with me. I know, uh, bless her. She came along with me and I told her sort of what to be looking out for. We'd split panels and she would um, do shorthand notes. And then in the evening, we'd come together and go through the notes together. So I guess she was like my research assistant. Um, But doing it, and she even paid for the trip. I don't think she understood what a research assistant gets. (laughs) Um, Bless my mum. But doing it was really useful because I had to then... I had to find a way of communicating to an, you know, another intelligent person, but someone who didn't know what I looked at. Why was it important? And why was I actually studying this? Um, and that was really great. And then after a year of, well, a few years of doing proper jobs, I was like, I think I want to do a PhD. I don't, I know, I can't, I have to listen to this little voice in my head. And I sent one message out to someone who said, by the way, there's a studentship at the University of Hertfordshire under, you know, Dr. Sam George, who organised the vampire conference you went to. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll apply for that then. I was so naive. And then it just worked out fine. If someone asked me now, I'd have said, like, make sure you say to your supervisor, how many other people are you supervising? Um, How often would you like to be in university? What's your general pattern that you have with students when you're supervising Mm. do you prefer to be hands-on or hands-off um i didn't even realize there was a six month six month writing up period i had planned my time to finish at in at the end of june like just under three years after i started my phd and i pushed it to the end of september i was like yeah i submitted one day under three years Wow. I was insane. I was an insane human being. And by the end, I was on a lot of medication because I had a severe sinus infection. And things were moving and I was constantly shivering and I was so poorly. But that's another fun story. But yeah, as it happened, my supervisor had a really similar approach to supervising that I would have wanted. So we had a meeting and I said, I like deadlines. I like targets. I like to chat with people regularly. I... I need praise. I need validation. Um, these are all the things that help me work well, like gold stars, stickers, great, um, but definitely structure. And she said, well, that's great. That's kind of what I would like to do as well. Shall we agree with meeting every two weeks? And then if you have holidays and I have holidays, we can be flexible around that. And that's really what happened. But that was luck. Whereas I spoke to other people where... I really felt that they were quite unsupported. And again, although I was frustrated sometimes with the number of bits of paperwork I had to fill in for my university, the flip side is those structures meant that there were people keeping an eye 
and making sure that not only was I doing my work, but also that my supervisor was doing my work. And I think that was probably a very good idea. And I suspect it's probably prevented some bad supervision um, in other cases at the university. So yeah, that's what I'd advise now. But I was just really jammy. <laughs> I, love, I love that great point to end with do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Don't, no, I... Yeah, I talk to PhD students now and they're like, so there's this and I'm applying for this and I've got this and I'm a member of this and I'm doing this. And I was like, I was so, so ignorant. And I was also, I think one of the other things is that I was very ignorant of a lot of the politics that went on as well. Mm. Uh, And I think that was actually a good thing. So I'm a bit more aware now, but that's probably better because I'm more resilient now. And also I just don't have the time or energy to care. But um yeah, during my, you saying about support groups, at the at the Vampire Conference, I met a young woman, um, I say young woman, she's the same age as me at that time, so early 20s, um, Dr. Karen Graham, and my mum ended up driving her back to her hotel and we were chatting, and we got chatting, and we just got on really well online, and she said, well, I'll invite you to my wedding, and I was like, yeah, that's going to happen, but she did. And yeah, I went to her wedding and the panel I've most recently been on is a new research project that she's setting up, um, Ballet Gothic or Gothic Ballet, um, Dance Macabre. And she invited me to be part of it. And that's kind of my next research project. And that all came from the fact that we met at a conference and my mum drove her home. And she, yeah. Wow. The, the importance of those networking opportunities and the informal conversations that happen outside of the panels. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's my new research project.